Welcome to Interdisciplinary, the healthcare podcast from HealWell. Massage therapy educators, practitioners, and positive deviants, Kathy Ryan and me, Cal Cates, will use research, science, experience, and humor to explore the broad landscape of healthcare through an interdisciplinary lens. You'll always learn something, you'll always laugh, and you'll come away not only better informed, but also with some real action steps for your own community, practice, and life. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Kathy, how's it going? Hey, uh, happy 2021. Fingers crossed it's a kinder, gentler year, but as you mentioned Indeed. earlier, it's a low bar. So <laughs> yes, it is a low bar. It, could, it, it seems it could only be better, but we yeah. uh, last year kept yeah. surprising us. So we'll find out. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who are new to um, Heal Well Podcasts, Kathy and I are uh, doing this from the opposite coast. So I'm uh, Cal Cates. I'm over here in the Washington DC area. And Kathy, where are you coming to us from? I'm here in the northern wilds of British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. I keep telling Kathy we need to switch places, but she's not interested. So <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, so today for our inaugural episode, we're so excited to uh, introduce to you and actually to have them introduce themselves to you. Uh, to of our good friends from uh, the healthcare world, a couple of nurses who work in a level, level one trauma center in a major uh, urban area that serves a very diverse population. They have certainly been on the uh, quote unquote front lines as we've come to know them over this last year. And we're, uh, we're gonna open up the floor really to them. So um, friends, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. What should we know as we get into this conversation? Uh, I'll start. Um, my name's Lee, and I've been an ICU nurse for about nine of my 11 years being a nurse, and I wouldn't ever do anything else. Um, <laughs> I'm in the bedside forever club. Some nurses <laughs> come and go, they pass through on their way to being a nurse anesthetist or being a nurse practitioner, and nope, I am. People say, what are your, what are your, um, your goals for your career? I say, you're looking at them. Yeah, I'm living um, it. Yeah, living the dream every day. Um, and yeah, so I love my job. And um, I had the great pleasure of training Alexis when she joined our unit. So that's, that's true. Molded this young one out of play. And now she's a super nurse in her own right. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I graduated from nursing school in 2019. And wow. went right into working at the ICU. Um, so I've been there for about a year and a half now. And most of that has been COVID nursing, COVID ICU. Wow. So who, who knew? Um, so yeah, I'm a baby ICU nurse, still learning. But I think the last year has certainly made me grow at an exponentially faster rate in my confidence and skill than I probably would have otherwise. So I feel like an older ICU nurse than I am. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And one of those experiences that maybe you wouldn't like sign up for, but you're like, oh, now that that's happened, I'm, I'm glad that I have that experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely has been interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think a lot of our listeners fall on the side of, um, I can't even believe we have to say this, but believing in COVID, uh, but, you know, there are a lot of people uh, who who don't still or who sort of think it's overblown. And um, I, I, I mean, I I feel like I, I want to ask you both, like, what what is it? What is it like when you go to work where it is very real and then you go out in the world where people are not wearing masks or who are hanging out in bars or like doing the things that, you know, will lead to you taking care of them quite probably? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to get so worked up. I used to get so fired up. And every, every time I saw somebody, it felt like a personal slap in my face. And I took it so, so personally. Um, but I've had to sort of mellow out over the past year and just realize that we can only do what we can do. Um, I've channeled some of my frustration and rage and personal anxiety into um, trying to be a peer educator mm -hmm. on the platform of Facebook, um, <laughs> wow. which is a thankless a task, but I feel a, a secular calling to it, if you will, to, um, <laughs> 
to make my own posts um, educational or humorous or sad, but then also there's a, um, a Facebook group for my small city um, uh, about neighbors helping each other through COVID. And I felt this calling to start posting um, facts and statistics and little did you knows and um, engage with my community that way and take questions. Um, I opened myself up for, as I mentioned, it's to channel my own anxiety about COVID and comfort myself and others by presenting facts. I was just gonna say, I feel very similarly to Lee. I, it's interesting because obviously COVID is something new to everyone. Um, so the education aspect, it's, it's almost to a point where you wouldn't know um, unless you were there, you know? So especially in the beginning, I think everyone kind of thought of it as something that only affects immunocompromised people, only affects older people only affects X, Y, and Z. And therefore, like even my friends, even some of my family had the mindset of, well, it's not gonna affect me. And even if I get yeah. it, I'm gonna be okay. And right. only through working in the ICU and seeing what we see, am I able to kind of correct that and say, you know, it can affect everyone, so. And That's you don't right. know, you don't know, you're rolling the roulette wheel, spinning the roulette wheel. If you yeah. have yeah. to go out there and act like a damn fool and you think that, oh, I'll only get a mild case, you just don't know. I've watched yeah, 40 can. year olds bleed to death from it. I've watched yeah. 50 year olds have catastrophic strokes and lose limbs. I've, I mean, you just can't predict. I mean, yes, there yeah. are certain higher risk groups that aren't necessarily what you think of. It's, mm -hmm. uh, seems to predominantly affect those who are overweight and those who have poorly controlled diabetes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course it overwhelmingly affects populations of color. Um, yeah. Folks who maybe for socioeconomic reasons can't avoid being out and about and taking public transport and working and living in large households mm -hmm. um, because that's how they manage and perhaps culturally that's preferred. Um, and so there was a time when the uh, roster of our ICU patients, it looked like a, a phone book from South America. I believe we mm -hmm. had 11 beds filled with 11 Latino patients. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. COVID oh, positive, yeah. Right, COVID positive. Yeah. We looked at each other and said, this is not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. this, yeah. is, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been, and then of course, communities of color, um, have less um, health information geared toward them perhaps, and also maybe less um, able to, um, you know, kind of understand some of the information, not, not always, of course, I'm making a huge generalization, but, um, and then there may be some um, very real resistance um, to public health information because of terrible history that our country has um, doing awful things to people of color. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we, at our hospital, <laughs> we take all comers. We don't ask any questions. Yeah. We get uh -huh. the guy from the dumpster out behind Safeway. We get, the mm -hmm. <laughs> we get you know, we get black everything brown, in between. White, all in between. We get mm -hmm. dignitaries and and um, everything in between. So we don't. I can't say our hospital doesn't. Many parts of healthcare have. Um, have a ways to go before they treat everyone with equality. But I will just say in our ICU, I, I have not seen any difference. Everyone gets excellent care, but mm -hmm. also everyone suffers the same. Yeah, yeah. Do you find, um, how's the, you know, I, I think about the additional challenge of not having visitors um, or having very mm -hmm. limited visitors and people who maybe have limited English proficiency or no English proficiency. And how does, how do you guys handle, I mean, these are, I, I imagine you've been having incredibly intense, intimate conversations. I mean, that's not completely strange for the ICU, but kind of non-stop-ish. And mm -hmm. how, how are you guys, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think the visitation thing has been an issue in and of itself because 
uh, a lot of these patients are at a point of their life that's very stressful. It's a time of the unknown uh, and they can't have their support systems there. Often it's even complicated by the fact that they're COVID positive and they're living in a household and therefore like other family members of theirs are also COVID positive. So even if they were in one of our few cat like tiny categories of exceptions where they could have a visitor, they can't have theirs because their closest family member is COVID positive as well. Uh, yeah. um, so, and that's been, I think since March, Lee, March of 2020, that we haven't been able to have visitors. Yeah, March or April, we stopped. We did a brief moment of having visitors come back in, I think in maybe September, October. And mm -hmm. that that was a bit of a headache because people would just straight up lie <laughs> just mm -hmm. show up mm -hmm. at our front desk. And we'd so be it's like, like impossible to control. You can't come in here. Yeah, so we, we certainly have been doing a lot of FaceTiming. We have these little mm -hmm. tablets on wheels that you can wheel up to the patient's bed. And because our patients are so mm -hmm. sick, they're often intubated, sedated on tons of drips. And so there isn't mm -hmm. a lot of two-way mm -hmm. conversation. What we will hear from outside the room is just sobbing coming mm -hmm. from the mm -hmm. tablet, just the sound mm -hmm. of despair. Um, mm -hmm. And we use interpreter phones a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On, on, uh, on interpreter phones, and we have some in-person interpreters for certain languages who we can mm -hmm. come. But then the, the, the issue is then they have to gown up to go into a room. Right, and right. At one point, I, I don't, do you remember this, Alexis? There was a chaplain who came up and she was very, very upset that she was um, not told in advance that the patient was COVID positive and oh. the members were hugging her. Um, oh, wow. Realized, so she was providing the support that, that she, is called to provide both literally right, right. and kind of felt a little bit um, surprised, you know, like we sprung this on her, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. you know, and the poor, COVID loves crying. It loves tears and saliva and snot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh, right. You know, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Wow. so it, it th that's an interdisciplinary thing. That's been interesting for us. Yeah. Yeah. Other, other services like the interpreters and the, um, yeah. Yeah. The chaplain. Um, yeah. Spiritual they, care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that the, the linens people won't go in the rooms to pull out the linens of the COVID. Right. Yeah. Or the, yeah. trash the trash and the, the we have containers of full trash. of sharps, needles and things and the sharps yeah. people are. Mountains. Oh my goodness. I remember one, and then some of them do, I won't say all of them don't, but there was one night shift where <laughs> someone came to change the sharps in my COVID room. And I had just spent probably three hours in there putting in certain access, venous access into the patient so we could give him um, more potent medications. And, you know, you're spending three hours in there. You can hardly see, you can hardly breathe, you're sweating. I get my gown off and he asked me to go in for him to get him the no! shark. And I said, sir, why can you not go in? And he said to me, I'm scared. Oh, that's what oh, he said. And, and, well, you know, and so what did you, yeah, what'd you say? This was peak COVID. And you know, that's a very valid feeling. I remember like at the start of COVID being completely terrified, you know, like putting on my PPE, making sure I didn't have a square inch of skin showing because you I didn't even know, just like right. hoping it was enough to protect me going into the room, like holding my breath through my mask, trying to be as quick as possible, like terrified. So I get that, you know, and I don't know where he was coming from, but in the moment I just like pretty much laughed and I was like, I'm sorry, sir. Like you're terrified and that's preventing right. you from going in. Like, come on. For 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, two, for three seconds to grab a box. I just right. been there for three hours, please. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, I had that a little. So bad. <laughs> I had a little mini tantrum the other night when the uh, trash person asked me to go in and pull my trash can out. And again, I had just come out, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah no, sorry, no. I do too many other people's jobs for them. Um, you're gonna have to do yours." I'm yeah, terrible, terrible yeah, um, yeah. I, well, and I, I wonder. Go ahead, Alexis. 
Uh, I was just going to say it can become a frustrating trend somehow. And I don't, we, we might be biased, but I feel like it has been a trend that the amount of exposures, like going into and out of rooms has fallen heavily on nursing in ways mm. that like maybe my respiratory therapist is busy in another room. And so she tells me on the walkie talkie to go and uh, alter the ventilator settings for her. You know, that's me going in again mm -hmm. or, or taking out the trash or sure. grabbing the bin or there, even in the beginning of COVID, there was this unspoken rule amongst um, nurse practitioners or APCs, um, our doctors, even attendings, that they wouldn't go into the room to assess the patient. They would, or maybe they would once a shift, you know, they would, they were able to limit their exposure and base the day's care off of our assessments, you know? Right. And that was something else to me. Now that did improve over time. I think enough mm -hmm. of us, you know, stood up for ourselves and said, you've got to go in your room and assess your patient. Um, yeah. But that was frustrating and crazy to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah. those were the good old days when we got one um, mask per entry to the room. Yeah, yeah. still, that's so true. wanton now. I can remember like throwing that mask away and being like, whoop, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was freeing. Oh we used God. to get yeah. a new face, a new mask every time, a new facial every time. Every we were provided time. with head coverings mm -hmm. and shoe coverings. shoe coverings. Wow. I don't even know how long that lasted, but it wasn't long. Whoa. Oh no. Um, yeah. So now we preserve and conserve our PPE. We get one mask per week. Wow. Um, face shield <laughs> per week or your own goggles. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. get these Bill Nye the science guy uh, goggles that we're supposed to wear over. Uh, mm -hmm. Because you know the issue is you you can catch COVID through your eyeballs. Sure. So you don't yeah. Any any splashing or any breathing mm -hmm. into into the eyeball area. So. <laughs> Someone threw away my goggles. <laughs> No, oh. you know, at the end of the week, you throw away your PPE bag, you get like a goodie bag and you write your name. Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, okay. you know, it's like it's a party and you know, you have your yeah. bag and, and whatever. But <laughs> Everyone decorates go, them. Worst yeah. party that's just, ever. That's just wrong. A COVID goodie bag. I'm sorry. <laughs> goodie bag. bag. It is. You oh. know, your goggles, your mask and your thing. And then at the end of the week, you know, people start getting frustrated. They're stacked everywhere. And, mm -hmm. and it's just like the COVID germs are everywhere and people throw them away. And oh, well, out went the goggles. But the good news is, and how is this good news? But it is, um, I had COVID myself over the summer. And not only did I keep the antibodies um, well into the fall, but then I got, we both got our first round of vaccines. Uh, yeah, we are super excited. So I actually have less personal anxiety because been there, done that. Yeah, been there, done that. Now, have the antibodies as a souvenir. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear more about the vaccine and antibodies, but I want to make sure we don't skip over the. I feel like the thing you were talking about with people not going in and sort of using your own progress mm -hmm. notes to do their assessment and and mm -hmm, that you know mm -hmm. different people who could really be valuable in the room sort of opting out. And mm -hmm. one of the huge conversations we had in the massage world, of course, was massage was deemed not essential. And all mm -hmm. kinds of massage therapists were like, we're essential. Rah, rah, rah. And we're like, okay, but that's, it's not about is what you do valuable. Like that's not the question. Right, here. But, right, but right. at the same time, like I think about what you said about the chaplain. And I think that, you know, at Healwell, we do a lot of work in the ICU and we work with chaplains and social workers and we work with a respiratory therapist and all these people who sort of mm -hmm. like I guess the respiratory therapist, not so optional, but I don't, I don't think a social worker is optional either, really. Like how, how does that play out? And, and even like when you're thinking about a, uh, uh, what are the conversations at your hospital around the facilities people are getting paid minimum wage mm -hmm. to put their lives at risk. And mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying and nurses shouldn't, somebody there needs to be, rubber needs to meet the road somewhere. Right. And yeah. so somebody needs to get paid more or acknowledged for the risk in a, you know, like how, how was that all playing out over the course of the year? Or was it, everybody was just going about their business, just trying to take care of people. And yeah, I would say it, it obviously varies from a person to person, as I said, like it's not every 
uh, the environmental services, the, the trash and the cleaning people sure. that, that will refuse to go into the room. Um, even some of them would call ahead of time and say, hey, we're going to come to the unit in a half an hour. If you next time you go in your room, if you can put your trash outside, like that would be great. So, you know, there is some collaboration. I won't say that it's completely uh, one sided. Categorical. Yeah. Yes. Categorical. Um, yeah. But it's tough because, you know, in a lot of cases, it's it is us in the in like the case of the translator or the chaplain that's us seeing a need for our patient and then calling upon an outside resource to come in and help so you know those people are doing us a huge favor and a huge service by you know putting themselves at risk like a big a big service to the patient but also to all of us as providers especially like the the translators I mean we could not do what we do if we can't communicate exactly (laughs) and it's not it's not even just nursing it's like the doctors utilize that service as well so um yeah I I even think just throughout the year it's become better they've even in the beginning like the x-ray the people that would come to take x-rays of our patient and all of them teaching them yeah at the bedside they'd have to come into the COVID room and yeah. I remember, Lee, do you remember in the beginning, they were asking the x-ray people to stay outside and guide us how to oh. move their equipment and yeah. click, oh. they would click the button and take the images from the outside of the room, no, you know, God. but then that ended up, that ended up changing. <laughs> Thank God. But that was the initial, that was the initial thought process of how they were going to you know yeah. so anyway that ended up changing but I remember us teaching them how to apply their PPE like oh, yes I, I'm not sure if they were trained or didn't get to practice but they would come and just they have a huge machine they have to maneuver I don't envy them that oh, and yeah clean after each you know interaction with a, a patient a COVID patient in particular but I remember they'll just leave the door open yeah yeah it's a negative pressure room so you need to keep that door closed we don't want the COVID germ flowing around and then Right. They'll, you know, walk out of the room with their gown on because they forgot something and you're kind of like, no, no, please. Oh. Yeah. Or stopping them because you see them in the room without goggles and you're like, hey, hey, can I grab you a face yeah. shield or, you know, so, yeah, you know, all that has improved because I, everyone knows now there's better education. I think even within the departments, they're getting, educating their staff better, but yeah, all these, all these disciplines coming in, it's, it's their job to, to do their job. You know, they have to come be a translator. They have to come be a chaplain. They have to come take an x-ray. So they, it's like in their job description, but. Um, COVID changed all of that. COVID changed yeah. everything. I can oh, everyone's that. normal. Everyone's normal change. I remember one of the patient care techs who's like a nurse's aide who goes and helps with uh, bathing or or something like that. One of them asked me, so what about us? Do we go in COVID rooms? Mm-hmm, and say, mm-hmm. yes, honey, your job did not change. Only your outfit. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. gotta, yeah, we've all gotta adapt. And then as to like the, the DES environmental services, not getting, they're getting minimum wage and having to, you know, go in and do that. Like it just is how it is. I don't Look, yeah. they're heroes. Even without COVID, we couldn't run our hospital without them. We could they, not. Yeah, they are amazing and do you know a very important work for mm-hmm. um, for patients and for us. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they got paid enough before COVID. And now, right, just their life for what? You know? Right, they're still essential. We, you know. So now, I did do- you guys notice any? Uh, oh, go ahead, Kathy. Yeah, just one of the questions that I have is um, a couple couple parts to it here. Uh, you're both ICU nurses, so highly educated. You know, probably some of the best trained nurses out there for sure. Was there anything in your education and training that prepared you for a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> and then the second part of that question is: as a result of all of this, is there something? for you that you see this has got to change going forward. We cannot continue in this way, just with or without COVID going forward. We've got to change this in healthcare. Great questions. Wow, Kathy. Um, 
what did we learn in our training about pandemic? This thing in 1918, this flu, we kind of touched on that and we practiced putting on gloves. Yeah, <laughs> gloves, gloves. Glove application. Oh, gloves. How such cute. Such an applicable skill. Gloves yeah. and a gown, right? <laughs> like, yes. I think I put on an N95 one time during nursing school. I was like, oh, that's cute. I'll never have a TB patient. <laughs> yes. wow. And every year they fit you for them and you're like, meh, who, you know, maybe I taste that thing. They're asking me if I can taste through my mask, but it'll never matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to get TB. And now, yeah, guess what? That's my best friend. I put that sucker on, mm-hmm. you know, um, what's got to change. Um, uh, nurses have to be valued and paid appropriately. Um, staffing has to be safe mm-hmm. and equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, if I remember one of my fears at the beginning of the pandemic was that many nurses were going to fall ill and it was just going to collapse. Our mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. collapse. Luckily, that did not happen because guess what? PPE works. Yeah. Um, so that's that's actually been great. There have been only a few a handful of us um, that we know of in the hospital who've gotten, who've gotten. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. That means that, that the procedures uh, actually work, mm-hmm. um, but nurses do need to be valued. And uh, we have trouble keeping nurses because they vote with their feet. And now with the travel, <laughs> the, the, with the pandemic, the, the travel contracts at certain hospitals in the surgery. Tempting, yeah. $6,000 a week? Mm-hmm. So like, how could you, how could you say no? Right. Like I, I, you know, because we are, we're an inner city facility and, you know, some of our equipment is missing or broken. It's, um, that's part of the challenge that I like is you're a little bit of a MacGyver every day, but, uh, People are saying, oh, well, I can go to this wonderful hospital, make a ton of money, get in, get out, nobody gets hurt. Um, so that's been challenging. We can't keep up with their um, with the pay scale that nurses can demand now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's been tough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah. 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 No, have you guys? Oh, go ahead, Alexis. I was going to say, I just think it's funny the part about totally being unprepared for COVID because I mean, yeah, they don't teach you anything about that in nursing school. And then I was with Lee on orientation for a few months. I came off in November. So I was my own independent nurse from like November to March, kind of pre-COVID. And then it was like, boom, you know, like, two super sick patients every single shift, like, you know, dealing with the highest risk medications, the sickest of the sick, right off of orientation. I was like, I Whoa. surrender, like, I don't even know how to be yeah. a nurse. And now I'm having to, like, I wasn't at all prepared. I, I don't know. Lee is like a champion nurse forever, you know, like, not prepared specifically for COVID, but pretty kick butt ICU nurse. I was like, I am not qualified. I am a faker. I'm a warm body. And that's all that matters. No way, because we just presented you with this incredible mountain to climb and you just hopped right up it. I mean, watching you grow as a nurse has just been one of my uh, true happinesses. Um, everyone gets excited when they see you on the schedule and you've just, you're, you're a, a nurse leader, even at your young age. So, um, I mean, I, I would imagine it's like, um, individuals in the military who are plopped down into the middle of a war zone, mm-hmm. nursing, you know, with limited supplies and it's like a crash course and how to be <laughs> yeah. top of your game with, you know, having to be MacGyver with the, or the smallest amount of tools to be able to do your job. So on one hand, Alexis, I can see how the value of that for you going forward as a nurse that man, you've just gotten decades worth of experience right. in a very concentrated amount of time. On the other hand, I, as a, as a person myself, you know, I think about if I had been plopped down in that, I, I may have started running. <laughs> right. right. You know, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of a career change here. You know, there's part of me that's right. like, oh, man, I don't know if I would have had what it takes to, you know, feet right to the fire like that. 
Yeah, yeah. I remember. I mean, this goes along with what Lee was talking about earlier with what needs to change. But, you know, as more and more people were getting sick, the census of our hospital, the amount of people coming in was increasing and increasing. And as she said, the amount of staff was decreasing and decreasing. So in order to incentivize the nurses that we had to pick up more shifts, they did um, pandemic pay is what they called it, which was um, like an added bonus amount of money if you picked up a certain amount of shifts. So in the peak COVID times, I think I picked up 10 straight weeks of overtime Oof. working like four, five, 12 hour shifts a week, many, Oof. many weeks. And, you know, it was all, you know, sometimes both my patients died on my shift back, like days back to back, like taxing emotionally, physically, mentally, like everything taxing. And I made it through six weeks keeping my sanity quote unquote. And then I remember on the seventh week, I was laying on the couch and my husband was laying on the other couch and all we were like watching TV. It was my one day off before going back for another like four shifts in a row. All he said was, do you want me to make you hot chocolate? And I bawled my eyes out. Then I started having a full blown panic attack. Uh, and he was like, what's happening? Couldn't breathe. I was like hyperventilating. I uh, he had to walk me out on the balcony so I could like catch my breath. I was like dizzy. I was about to fall over. And then it was like a introspective moment of just like the whole past six straight weeks of overtime all hit me at one moment of mm. I have to go back and do it again like you know it just like realizing that every day off being like trying to get enough rest and get enough you know joy in and get enough to boost yourself up to go in again and mm. do it again yeah for that x means- amount of days straight nurse burnout is no joke no joke uh, and and this does fall predominantly on young people without children um i think or 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 who have excellent you know child care i mean my husband's also essential so he has to go into the office so i couldn't pick up that much overtime because guess what the kids don't have any place to go <laughs> right <Yes>. yeah <laughs> So I was like, and then I had this sort of guilt that I wasn't there. I was only doing my two shifts per week. Um, But with the understanding that I had to also, um, I had to also, you know, our schools just abandoned us in the spring. School shut down and there really wasn't anything, uh, anything done in our particular county. So I just then suddenly had to educate these little people and then, (laughs) you know, so I switched to working weekends. So I was Monday through Friday teacher. Um, My husband was a a champion also. He, um, our children go to language and culture school on the weekends. So he would do that with them and teach them at night, um, coach them for their lessons. And then, you know, I would go in uh, Saturday, Sunday to the ICU. So that was tiring in its own right, but yeah, I had this sort of guilt that I wasn't with my my um, my fellow soldiers. I wasn't fighting alongside them as hard. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. Somehow, somehow we made it through the worst of it. Um, mm-hmm. We're having like a little mini surge now. We uh, yeah, we have, we have half the total number of COVID patients that we did in the spring currently. Mm-hmm. So our our okay. big total in the spring was 190. Wow. And currently we have 90 to 100. But of course, in the spring, we also canceled all non-elective, all non-emergent surgeries. Right. And now, because our hospital system lost so much money, we're like, actually, we right. have to keep going. We have to serve our population as well, right? People still need brain surgery and heart surgery. Right, right. Um, so we, we have not slowed down any of our core services now with this, um, with this winter surge, so... Wow. We're still very busy. Yeah. So, so as you guys, I mean, you know, thinking about the way, I mean, it sounds like nurses, I mean, I've always sort of, I have like a, an existential crush on nurses in a very broad <laughs> sense. Like I just yeah. love nurses and, um, and, <laughs> um, and I, but I feel like this pandemic has really been a place where, um, 
you guys really have like, you look around and everybody's scattered. And I wonder, um, I think it's really easy to sort of take regular for granted and coming back to kind of the interdisciplinary thread, when you think about how having reliable arrival of the respiratory therapist and knowing you can call the social worker and the chaplain and the, all the different disciplines who mm-hmm. support you so that you can quote unquote, just nurse mm-hmm. and how much different it's been kind of being all of those things. And, you know, does it, does it increase your appreciation for the interdisciplinary nature of care? Does it point to you about how much better it even needs to be like, cause it wasn't ideal in the before times, um, but <laughs> there's definitely, you know, we could do a lot more. And, and do you feel one of our things at Healwell is we really feel like part of the way to move healthcare forward is to have disciplines training together. And when you have, for instance, nurses and physicians or nurse practitioners and, you know, respiratory therapists learning together when they find themselves in the field, quote unquote, they understand each other's jobs differently. And there's, it seems that there will be less of an opportunity for that kind of being overlooked or misunderstood or kind of more opportunities for collaboration and better care. Like, where do you see what you've learned through this and kind of losing that interdisciplinary aspect? Do you see that um, as something you want to work on in the future? How does it all play into your understanding of how you get to be a nurse? Man, all I, all I can think of is that um, we used to do these things called interdisciplinary rounds where um, you'd get everyone in the room. It'd be the, um, you know, the, the RT and the doc and the nutritionist and the pharmacist and everyone. And, and uh, we can't, we're not allowed that many people in a room altogether. So that fell by the wayside. So we got to pick that. That was our best opportunity for collaboration truly was mm-hmm. every morning or most days, right? We'd do those. Yeah. Um, and really have everyone touch base from all sides. Um, and, yeah. and I hope, I, I wish that um, that we would collaborate more with massage therapists and um, mm-hmm. other practitioners like Reiki, so they used to offer that. Um, I think both for the staff and the patients, it's been such a stressful time. That would be great mm-hmm. to pull in some um, caring for the caregiver um, yeah i care like, for the caregiver and yes. massages in the break room from 3 yeah. to 4 p.m something like yep. something like that just to they did give us a therapist oh they did talk therapist five to seven yeah <laughs> i'm never there when coach. she's there but i'm never there when she's there, there but she is there for us that's that well, is new well that's they good did, did to know it's interesting. We heal well. We can never before COVID. We could never get hospitals to spend money to have us come in to work with the staff, and we've definitely gotten some contracts during COVID where hospitals are like, "Oh my gosh, like we have to, we have to take care of our nurses." Basically, mm-hmm. and the first of those programs that we did, those nurses also had a therapist that they could see if they wanted, and so they got massages. And I believe it was three separate nurses later the day, that day went into the therapist and said, oh my God, I had no idea how much I was holding, how sad oh, I was. Yeah. I mean, we were like wow. a cup of hot chocolate, you know, where like, it was the <laughs> moment where someone was nice to you and you're like, no, no, don't be nice to me. I'm just going to crumble. Yes, <laughs> yeah. You can't handle. Don't can't see it handle. coming. Yeah. Oh wow. my gosh. Yeah. But in terms of, um, you know, an eye-opening experience, like, very, very eye-opening in terms of increasing my appreciation for all of those different services and departments that, yeah, like in the beginning, we were really, really feeling the weight of not having them be able to do what they normally do in the way that they normally did it. Um, yeah. You know, and even one department that I forgot was um, nutrition, who does delivers oh, the yeah. food trays and everything yep. and how they've changed throughout COVID and, you know, having to coordinate with them, like, I'm going to go in this room. Can you please bring breakfast like now? And, and now they deliver it on a disposable tray for your COVID patient and all of that. So you don't have to increase exposure by bringing the tray outside of the room to give back to them after, you know, all of that, like I'm working with them way more than I did prior to, I didn't, I didn't even think it was just in the back, like the food just showed up. And I brought it into my patient. Right. I didn't even think that there was a yeah. person 
making that and pushing the card yes. and putting it on a tray and right. you know so yeah for sure like eye-opening experience of you know all the people that are involved in in caring for each patient and the impact that they have um on that patient's hospital course and you don't even think yeah. about it you know right very yeah, very absolutely. crazy to think about yeah humbling yeah everybody everybody feels essential suddenly Humble. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can only hope that part of the experience that we're all having as a result of COVID is one that elevates our humanity, you know, and our consideration for one another, whether it be at the grocery store or, mm -hmm. you know, working the various um, services within the hospital, you know, not only direct patient care, but all of those supportive services, all there's human beings with stories. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's part of what you know, I think is really important about this podcast is we're hearing some of your personal stories about what this journey has been like for you. You know, we kind of joked at the beginning about COVID being a real thing, but, you know, certainly uh, I've had uh, people in my practice, you know, what's everybody in a, you know, about all of this. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's a real thing. And I think for me, because I had someone close to me, um, you know, someone that I, that's a family member, not living close to me that, uh, got COVID in the early days of this, fortunately all went well, they recovered at home, but it made it very real, very fast mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for me. And I, and I'm glad that it did, you know, I, I'm a science nerd. So I think I would have been, you know, on board with the, the realness of it anyway. And, and Cal, Cal would have gotten me there really quick if I hadn't been. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But I think it's really important that we are hearing these stories. You know, I think this is what's going to resonate for people. You know, Lee talking about, hey, I had COVID. You know, this is what has happened for me. And then Alexis, for you to talk about the hot chocolate, the, re the realness of we go, 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 go. And then when there's a moment to exhale, boom, that's when it hits us. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and like Cal, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say it online. I love nurses deeply. Uh, <laughs> literally, my mom was in nursing. Two of her yeah. sisters were in nursing. So, of course, there's that bias, very personal relationship with nursing. So deep, profound respect for, for nurses and, and all of that all that you do and what you face in a day, um, you know, and your human beings that have stories. So many more questions that we could ask you guys, but um, thank you so much uh, for what you've shared with us today. Is there any, uh, is there anything you want to make sure that our listeners know about about anything, about your experience, whether it be with COVID or just what what consumers of healthcare should know, what our interdisciplinary colleagues should know, um, anything you want to leave us with? Um, take care of yourself so that we can take care of you better. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not out of the woods yet, but the end is potentially in sight uh, with COVID because the vaccine, I mean, when, when I went to get my vaccine, the mood in that room was oh yeah. It was a party. There was mm -hmm. optimism and joy. And that was the first time in many months that I had felt a room so filled with joy and people mm -hmm. were not suspicious of each other. Like you're sitting too close to me. It was like, no, we're all here because this is awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for the moment, continue um, doing what you're doing, mask up distance, um, wash them hands, uh, get, <laughs> get in line for the vaccine get whichever one comes, is offered to you first, um, as long as there's no contraindication, but check with your doctor um, or healthcare provider. Um, but, but get it, because the more of us who get it, the quicker we can get back to normal or yeah. hopefully the new or, normal. I hope- Or something better. Something, something better than normal. this. <laughs> yes. This will, um, as you mentioned, cause us to um, appreciate our humanity and treat each other more nicely mm -hmm, and elevate. Mm -hmm the human condition because we did learn something i hope i hope people have learned something from this mm -hmm. um, yes. i i think that actually not having visitation in the hospital was a bit of a difficulty for people in understanding just how sick these patients are yeah so, yeah you know a lot of a lot of uh times 
you'll see people say to COVID deniers, well, you should go spend 10 minutes in a hospital. And I'm like, yeah, you should go spend 10 minutes in a hospital. You should see. <laughs> I mean, yeah. COVID patients are the sickest group of patients that I, that I've ever seen in my yeah. 11 years of nursing. Yeah. I can't yeah. tell you I've taken care of cardiac surgery patients, polytrauma patients, burn patients, every, I've never seen patients that require more medication support and mm -hmm. device support. I mean, their kidneys mm -hmm. fail, their lungs mm -hmm. fail. And we decompensate can, so quickly. You, you can't yeah. even turn their head to mm -hmm. prevent pressure ulcers because they'll die. Mm -hmm. They wow. will die if you turn their delicate, head. Delicate, fragile, mm -hmm. brittle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is that roulette wheel where, yeah, someone in the neighborhood just lost their taste and smell, no big deal. But yeah. someone two streets over, um, you know, has died from it. So, mm -hmm. you know, we just all have to, we, hmm, as individuals, I believe in a society, it comes with responsibilities as well to those around us. So, yeah. Well, you know, hashtag love one another. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. That's the big thing that I think would be great if we could all do yeah. is, um, <laughs> you know, if you, and, and not just like for us, I'm thinking like at, at my work, something that I need to do is tell people that I appreciate them, you know, like voice that to every discipline because everyone's going through this really tough time, you know, and even though I'm having a hard day, so is he and so is she and so are they and you know we're all showing up to work and showing up right now is impressive enough huge <laughs> you know that's that's hard enough to just show up um after all of this to to work despite despite the emotional exhaustion and you know everything that we're facing so I would say to suggest that you know for all the all the disciplines uh everyone that's working with people from different disciplines to express gratitude and mm. and show it and and mean it that that you do recognize everyone's hard work um and and appreciate that and you could say the same for for people out and about in the world you know not not working in maybe a hospital setting or healthcare setting but just treating everyone with grace right now <laughs> um because it can be hard i think when you see a select few kind of um, going against maybe what you think they should be doing. And, yes. you know, I, I, as Lee said, I used to take that personally, like take it as kind of, you know, a slap in the face. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I guess, oh, Alexis, I, guess I have to I ask. Would suggest I have to ask, are you are you Canadian? Because that was just so kind and gracious the way that you <laughs> Oh, see, Kathy thinks <laughs> only Canadians can be kind. I'm not Canadian, <laughs> I'm but I I came from a family that was really nice. <laughs> so I've been trained to kind of censor myself. Ah. <laughs> We know. Uh, we know what we're doing here today. I know. Yeah, so I don't know. I take people wearing masks as a great show of kindness and gratitude towards healthcare providers everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eat kind, much. wear a mask. That's all. That's the name of the game. That's right. And and wash well, your hands. And what? And That's there's right. a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. I really do right. see it. I really do have high hopes for fall 2021 where yeah. we might be able to meet for the holidays. We might have schools yeah. in full session. It is very possible that it could be. Yeah. So Cling to it, baby. Cling I to it. We will hope. hope. I have enjoyed hope. turning that corner in my mind, whether or not, yes. <laughs> whether or not we can actually get there. It, yeah. it gives me something, a goal to aim for and focus yes. on. Yes. I yeah. have enjoyed clinging to that hope as well. Right. And I mean, I'm going to keep on keeping on with my, um, with my Facebook educating and um, <laughs> my, my echo chamber. No, really, but no, there are some, you know, there are some uh, more suspicious folks on there and I've had some run-ins with some and some very productive uh, dialogue with some others. So um, yeah, I think, I think that a little education goes a long way and mm -hmm. um 
people are very interested to hear from healthcare providers. Anyone can be yeah. a, a Google expert or, you know, oh, I read a bunch of articles, but I think it helps to hear from people on the front lines who've actually lived it. And I'm like, yeah, it's not, it's not fake, dude. <laughs> this, this is, yeah, yeah, no, this is, this is legit. If, if there's anyone to, to believe it's me, please, I'm not exaggerating. I, why, what would I gain by right pretending my life is horrible and people are exactly. dying all around me what would what, right you think I find that entertaining no I don't yeah well thank you thank you both we uh we we pay you handsomely and that is to say that um because I forgot our early um pun in our episode I'm going to share with you a nurse pun now Ooh. Um, that maybe you already have heard but what did the nurse say when she found a rectal thermometer in her pocket where the heck's my pen? Damn it, some asshole has my pen. <laughs> <laughs> some asshole has my pen. So That's on that one. note, um, <laughs> we will wrap our uh, our first episode of our new venture, Interdisciplinary, the healthcare podcast from HealWell. Thank you both for being with us and uh, thank you all for joining us. Go like us on the social media and the all the places, the Facebook and the Twitter and the Spreaker and the places that you get your podcasts. Kathy Ryan, as always, thank you for being my co-pilot. Thank you, my friend. And thank you, Lee and Alexis, for taking care of people's loved ones. We appreciate what you do. And just, I'm making a bold statement, massage therapists love nurses. <laughs> it's a mutual. We're, we're there for you. Well, thank you. And we're here for you too. And let's collaborate yes. more and more in the future. Yes, yes please. And thank you for having us on the show. Yeah, it's been a thank pleasure. You guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. You can send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at healwell.org. New episodes will be posted weekly via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our Facebook page. Thank you.